You're listening to episode six of season two of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, Leading Through Negotiation. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. We wanted to follow up a little bit today with the discussion we had last time about negotiations. And uh, I was not able to speak with the fellow that Dave Garten, who's teaching negotiation skills um, in the same mm-hmm. MBA program where I teach. But um, I was I, I did have a, get a copy of his syllabus. And um, he indeed, you know, referenced some of the same materials we did. But um, one of the things that he um, is using, which I couldn't remember the name of, yeah. is a book by, or an article by Deborah Kolb um, in the Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. called Breakthrough Bargaining. And mm-hmm. Deborah uh, was har- part of the Harvard negotiation product uh, project mm-hmm. with yeah. Bill Urey. And she also has worked with the same faculty people that, that I've worked with at the Center for Gender in Organizations at Simmons College. I mean, they have quite quite the brain trust up there in yeah. the Boston area. Oh, you it's, bet. Yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah. So Deborah is um, very astute about the way women in the workplace are viewed and how um, their negotiation style needs to reflect that. And um, in particular, she's written a lot about salary negotiations Mm -hmm. and how women, which we talked a little bit about, women don't ask, Mm -hmm. Um, they they tend to sell themselves short, uh, that sort of thing. And um, she... um, I, I remember reading that material a long time ago, and it was mm-hmm. very interesting. And I could see myself in that. Yeah. You know, I, you know, as much as I think, well, I don't, you know, I know all that stuff. Yeah. I still well am knowing very knowing hesitant. stuff yeah. never makes you immune to the actual dynamics involved. It's just like change, right? Of yeah. course. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like walking into a wall and apologizing and saying, "I'm sorry." Yeah. You know, somebody did. Somebody in that group actually up up at um, um, at Simmons did a research study where she looked at um, the ways in which women say "I'm sorry." Oh yeah. And literally, I mean, people will knock into. A, and I've done this myself. I knock into a wall, and it's like automatically. I just I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it's my fault. Right. Well, it is, right? Because the wall is immobile, and I should know better. And But who are you apologizing? <laughs> exactly! <laughs> it's insane! My college roommate ran and in, walked into my bed and apologized to it. To the bed. Yes. Not to you. Yes. Not to me. Right. To <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing mm. that women tend to do. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's really an interesting dynamic that somehow and I don't know if it's just American women or you know, East Coast and Midwest American, you know, I don't know where the where the cultural boundaries of that 
kind of uh, behavior mannerism that so many women you and I know have, mm-hmm. um, and and we're admitting to in ourselves. Right. You know, I don't know where the cultural boundaries of that, but are where they lie, but. You know, it's clearly there with a lot of women who are in the workplaces that you and I are working in all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And and I'm also intrigued by, you know, the, this. there's this idea of negotiation, which is, you know, I mean, I was sitting here thinking about, well, what's the purpose of negotiation? Well, it's to come to some agreement about how you go forward right and so there's the there's the dyadic kind of instance of that where it's two people whether they're working on behalf of larger groups or only on behalf of themselves but there are two people involved and they are trying to come to some conclusions about going forward um you know or we're in our government now, trying to come to some conclusions about how we're going to go forward uh, and hopefully avoid the fiscal cliff, whatever that is. And, and so there's that kind of, you know, that back and forth compromising kind or setting up the opportunity for compromise kind of negotiation, um, which, you know, in, in one way of thinking about it moves into how do you handle conflict. But, but I'm more interested in the part about how do you actually find that, that solution to going forward that everyone can support or that both sides feel good about. And, you know, how, how do women approach that? Because that's, you know, negotiating salary, one, one issue, one way of thinking about that, negotiating, negotiating with employees about, you know, who's going to do what work. So, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the negotiating, you know, even if you are a very forward-thinking leader, in your right. organization or manager in your organization and you really understand the people closest to the work know best how to do the work and all of that right still you're going to want to know about what the work is being done you may because because you have a different view that comes from being connected into the larger organization in a different way you may you may need to influence how that's happening and and give um, give certain kinds of information to the people who are making the decisions to to influence how they're how they're going about it because of some other concerns. Uh, none of these things happen in a vacuum. I mean, it's it's so easy and glib to say, well, the people closest to the work should make decisions about the work, but they can't make those decisions in a vacuum. They, right. they right. and somebody needs to figure out what, well, what we don't want to overload them with information because we want them to be able to do their work and they want to be able to do their work and they don't want to have a lot of extraneous information coming to them. But so, you know, there's some choices to be made. And then 
a negotiation there about how does that, how, how is the work going to be done and who's going to make which decisions about it and who brings what information to it because all of that has to do with going forward. And, and I just think that's, I think it happens that people get caught up in the nature of the relationship in a negotiation, whether I'm trying, you know, the whole win-lose or win-win or whatever is all about the relationship, right? And lose, and lose touch with the larger system that that relationship is, is happening within, and, and how those negotiations are going to affect not only the relationship that's involved in them, but the larger system of which it's a part. So, you know, the term negotiation right. probably bears some defining because what yeah. you're describing is, is an interpersonal kind of negotiation. Right. And you're right, it, it's very context um, and person you right. know, dependent. But... Um, there are different. There are other kinds of negotiations, mm -hmm. um, and people need to to understand that there are times when um, using a third party, yes, an intermediary, yeah. is a better way to go. Yeah. Um, so, so we all know. For instance, uh, we can visualize in a real estate transaction. We rely on brokers right. or, or real estate agents to be our intermediary. And so mm -hmm. I can say things to my real estate agent, oh, yes, I really want that house, and I'm willing to pay X for it if I have to, but I'd rather spend Y. Yeah. So you, can't, you have the freedom to negotiate on my behalf, um, you know, but... You aim for to a y, point, yeah. knowing that my bottom line is really X. Okay, that's yeah. that's that's different. In a leadership context, yeah. When might it be appropriate for a leader to use, if you will, a third party? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, certainly. I mean, that it's actually making me think about. Victor Vroom and the participative leadership stuff. Certainly when the leader doesn't have all the technical information that they need. Mm -hmm. They might want to bring in somebody into the conversation that that brings a kind of information that maybe no nobody else around the table has at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be one instance I would think. Um, but what you were talking about in terms of mediation, you know, bringing in someone to just help manage the process of getting to the negotiated solution, um, I, I think that could be appropriate as well. Um, I'm trying to think about, well, it, uh, leaders do that with consultants all the time. You know, they've got, they've got something they want to accomplish in their organization. Um, I mean, it's a different... Maybe not what we normally think about as negotiating, but I think about the metaphors, you know, I've got to negotiate my way across this room. What that mm -hmm. means is I've got to get across the room avoiding all the obstacles that might be in my way. Mm -hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's a good metaphor for, 
you know, we need to find a way forward. We're not all in agreement on that. How do we get from here to there avoiding the obstacles that are in our way? Well, Real and metaphorical. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I saw the film Lincoln over the holidays. Mm. Did you have a chance Mm-mm. to see it? Mm-mm. Well, I think it's an interesting film. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and if you think about it, which I haven't had a lot of time to do, I'd almost like to see it again. Um, and and have more time to really think think it through. It was it was interesting to see how Lincoln used both power, influence, uh, third party negotiation, to get what he needed to get done, um, and get the. Um, um, the the end the the end to slavery that he yeah. was that he was seeking, um, you know, as a kid and probably most of us really you know thought Lincoln was so pure so clean so, yeah, yeah. so you know yeah. such a, you know such a good guy. Yeah. Well, he was certainly a good guy in terms of his in terms of his um, the ends that he was trying mm. to accomplish. And. If the film is accurate, and I have no reason to think at this point that it's not reasonably accurate, because yeah. um, it wasn't Hollywoodized too much. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was. Well, what I've heard is that his primary goal was to keep the union together, to keep the states together, and that ending slavery ended up being kind of a means to that end. But it was one he embraced. I'm sure there were numbers of others right. means to that end that he could have other paths he could have chosen right. he embraced that one so right. I, you know that that that's the criticism i've heard that he wasn't really so much interested in ending slavery as he was interested in keeping the union together but be that as it may mm-hmm. you know it's still he still he had something in mind he wanted to accomplish yes and he 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 got readings from you know all the people around him right who said basically um, this can't be done at this time. Right. And he said, it has to be done. This is, this is going to happen. Yeah. And um, we are going to pass this amendment. I mean, it just has to happen. And so he, um, he had a group of intermediaries who went and talked to all the key players whose votes he needed mm-hmm. and found he out, what, found their out what their needs were, what they wanted, yeah. what it would take, in essence, one could say, to buy their vote. But yeah. it, he didn't see it as buying the vote. He saw it as a quid pro quo, right. which, after all, is what politics in many ways is. Yeah. So it, it was, I need this from you. What, what do I need to give you? you know, to get this from you. And um, when he thought what they were asking for was excessive, he basically said, no, you know, I'm not willing to do that, but I am willing to do this. Right. And he was never involved in any of this. Right. There were other people doing this on his behalf, um, but he couldn't be seen to be doing this. But it was a very interesting, uh, I think, and, and pretty classic way for 
for yeah. a leader to use, you know, power, influence, negotiating yeah. skills um, to get done yeah. what he saw needed to happen. Yeah. Now, I guess some people could look at that and say, well, so he was less than pure. Well, you know, uh, I think that that's a pretty, if you will, naive kind of view. Because, yeah. in fact, um, at least in our political system, right. it's impossible to be pure and get anything done. Well, you, and, you ha and, and people just don't work that way. Well, yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. It's like, well, so what is pure? Yeah. I mean, uh, does that mean that you never, ever acknowledge that the other person has needs and you, so you make absolutely no compromises and that's what keeps you pure? Mm -hmm. Well, it keeps you pure and isolated. Right. You know, it keeps you pure and away from the rest of the world, or it keeps you pure and a dictator. Uh huh. I mean, I don't. Some of those definitions of purity, mm -hmm. I think, are problematic. Sure. I think I think there's a problem with those. But uh, yeah, I I just am I'm I'm thinking about that and thinking about what you said about well, no, you can't have this, but you can have have that, and I was. The, the that Harvard negotiation project has produced so much interesting work, and I was just looking up the name of this book uh, by William Urey called "The Power of a Positive No," mm -hmm. that I have found really useful in in those instances where I really do need to say no, we we just can't go that far. Mm -hmm. But I want to preserve the relationship. I want to maybe, I know that down the road, I may want to have another conversation, I, you know. And, and he has a, a kind of an interesting formula that he promotes in that book that I think is very woman-friendly, mm. actually, and kind of looping back to where we started. And um, in terms of the, the nature of how we were talking about you know, many women like to be in the world. And his his formula is basically that when you need to say no, you follow a, a, a framework or a pattern of yes, no, yes. And yes is, the first yes is, um, yes, I hear you. Yes, I value our relationship. And I, you know, I want to keep, I want to stay connected with you. Um, uh, yes, I, I also agree that this is an important issue, um, whatever that might be. So starting from that place of being able to say yes, and then sort of saying, and no, I can't go that far with you, or no, I can't deal with this at this time, or no, it, I, I'm overscheduled, I can't take on one more thing to do, and then Yes, please come back to me in the future when my time may have changed. Please, yes, um, yes, I do want to, I do believe that this part of this issue is important. I'd like to talk to you more when we're talking about that or whatever to sort of, sort of wrap it up. And, and it's, and I think, and I have used that framework mm -hmm. actually uh, to very great effect um, and in, to, that has enabled me to feel good about saying no 
when before I might have felt guilty about it because it forces me to think about what are the parts of this that I can say yes to and what is it really that I'm saying no to. And so, yes, I agree this is an important issue. No, I'm not going to come to your meeting right now. Um, and, and yes, you know, please keep inviting me because, I mean, it's actually what I'm having to do right now as a, as a real-life example with Dining for Women. Mm. Yeah, yes, I think, you know, I would love to spend time with these other lovely women Yes, I um, I do believe that the issues that Dining for Women is dealing with are important issues. And no, I can't show up this month mm -hmm. because I have a conflict in my calendar or because I just, I'm just overcommitted and I need a night off or whatever it might be. I have a legitimate no to say there. Mm -hmm. And yes, please keep sending me the emails because I hope that sometime in the future it will fit into sure. my... You know, so that, that as opposed to just feeling guilty because I can't come this month, mm -hmm. right? Or, or yes, I, I won't show up physically, but yes, I'll send a little contribution or, you know, whatever right. those, whatever right. the yes parts might be, right. being clear about what the no part and being able to stick with that. Right. That has been very helpful to me in, in many, many different situations. Well, and I, I think, think, and it's yeah. a good negotiating technique. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. when you think about it in terms of dining for women, you're yeah. doing that internally because no one is saying to you, how right. come you're not showing up? Right. But, but even if you were to do that out loud right. around a different kind of issue, I mean, it's both affirming yeah. the, the right. relationship and the importance of it um, and being firm about a boundary that you right. feel you've got to keep. Right. So, um, well, in, in the salary example, uh huh. yes, I'm very interested in this job. No, sure. I am unwilling to accept X number of dollars for it. Right. That seems low to me. Uh -huh. Um, and yes, I hope we can continue this conversation cause I, I think this would be a great place to work. Sure. Right. Right. So those kind, those kinds of ways of talking about it, I think, are, could be very enabling mm -hmm. for a lot of women to mm -hmm. have, to be able to say no in those situations where you really do need to say no mm -hmm. and, and making it okay. Yeah, sure. You know, you know, you were, you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, you weren't sure, um, how culturally bound some yeah. of the issues around negotiation were. And, um, I, I saw another film over the holidays, uh, an Iranian film called oh. A Separation, mm -hmm. um, which I'd heard about yeah. and watched and is a really grim movie, yeah. really a grim movie. Um, but it was interesting, you know, one more time to see how in, in a culture like that, um, that, I mean, no one's rights are yeah. as free as we would yeah. hope they would be. But but the, the 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 women or one woman in this film in particular, um, because she was married to a very traditional man, just her her ability to hold a boundary mm -hmm. was virtually impossible. Yeah. And you know you can't 
when I think about it, you, you can't really be a good negotiator if you can't hold boundaries. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... It, it, and you know, to hold a boundary, you have to be able to see it. Right. You have to be able to perceive where the boundary lies. And I think a lot of folks, let alone holding them, have trouble even perceiving where the boundary is. Yeah. The boundary between you and me. Yeah. Right. Where, where do, as, as business partners, where do I stop and you start? Right. And, you know, where are we together and where are we separate and what is that boundary? Those are very difficult um, or can be very difficult to negotiate, right? Those kinds of boundaries and, and perceiving them in, in decision making and in negotiations for going forward. What parts do we have to agree on? What don't we have to agree on? I think that's right. Yeah. And, and in a situation like you're talking about in a marriage where people perceive the world very differently, mm -hmm. those boundaries can get very mushy. Right. Yeah. I know that I've always felt more comfortable, much more comfortable with people who have good boundaries. Oh, yeah. I feel safer with them. I feel I can be myself with them. Um, I know that, or I believe that mm. if I ask somebody with good boundaries, do you want to do this or can you do this? They'll say yes if they want to and no if they, if they don't want to or can't. Whereas somebody who doesn't have good boundaries, when they say yes, I can't be sure that they don't feel kind of coerced or right. like they have to say yes or I won't like them anymore yeah. or whatever. So it makes everything feel very squishy to me. Yeah. And then I can't, I don't feel free to negotiate with them. My, um... My colleague, Esther Derby, our colleague, yeah. Esther Derby, um, I think sometimes channels Jerry Weinberg, a quote from Jerry Weinberg, which is, if you can't say no, your yes doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And, and that's so true. You know, if, if you can't say no, your yes doesn't mean anything because I can't trust your yes. Exactly. If, if I think you're not, you won't ever say no, what I, what then I know is you'll say yes and won't follow through mm -hmm. or whatever that might be and um yeah and that's that's really important i mean that because then it becomes a trust issue as well mm -hmm. right how how do i trust what what you're telling me and you know the, the boundaries and the ability to say yes and no and and the, the ability to trust that that's whatever that answer is is the one the other party is going to follow through on. Those are all critical to just making our way through the day on a daily basis. Because if we can't do that, then, you know, every step we take is kind of squishy and uncertain. Because we have to know that some of those things are are solid or we can't move on to deal with new stuff. Right. I, I guess what we're saying is that even, you know, before people look at some of the techniques of negotiation. Yeah. Um, and we've got some nice uh, resources here that we can post on our um, yeah. the blog wow. that that some of the the personal skills right. that it takes to be an effective negotiator right. um, that we've been talking about um, are are it's pretty 
critical that, that people get in touch with those um, and assess their ability right. um, to even enter into the, if you right. will, the space of becoming a more effective negotiator. Right. Because you can't do it without the basic building blocks. Yeah. You know, I, I my, when I was growing up, my mm -hmm. closest, the, the adults I was closest to other than my parents were my Aunt Susie and Uncle Bob. And uh, they, I spent a lot of time at their house. They were very important in my life. And my Uncle Bob was uh, a labor negotiator mm -hmm. for, um, for General Motors in the Fisher Body. And, and, and why I'm th saying this is that he, um, he had another skill that I think is really important. Before, you know, holding boundaries is something that's really important before moving into negotiation. Understanding, um, you know, how to, where your yes and where your no really lie is, is important. Um, and another thing that's important, I think, is to be able to take the other person's point of view. And when I, when I got to be a teenager, my Uncle Bob absolutely would make me wild. Because no matter what opinion, and as a teenager, I was highly opinionated. No, no. matter what opinion I showed up with, uh -huh. right, he could take the other, he would take the other side. Uh -huh. Just as an exercise. Uh -huh. Even if he basically agreed with me. He, right. Could, right. he could step into those other shoes. Because he was so highly skilled at knowing where he stood and understanding where the other person was coming mm. from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he could argue that other point of view equally as, as well as he could argue his own point sure. of view. And, and I think that's another piece is that, that ability to project yourself into what are these other, what are the other parties? What are their circumstances? What kind of, what are they dealing with? Not so much that you give yourself away, but just to get understanding about what is it they need. I mean, and you were talking about Lincoln he attempted to do that by sending out sort of emissaries to gather information about, you know, what are these other persons, these other sides, other parties, yeah. what are these other parties' needs. interests, mm -hmm. needs, wants, yeah, you know, and what are what is that whole thing? And in getting to yes, they talk quite a bit about understanding interests right. behind the positions, right. Right? right? But being able to 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 discern that and to um, really understand that those needs are also valid, mm -hmm. but that in order to find a way through that can, that can satisfy the situation at hand, we're probably going to have to you know, look at how do, how do our various interests and needs mesh together. And um, I love the... the um, the old ugly orange exercise that we used to do in training classes. Oh, no, the orange and the orange peel. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Who right. needs the you know that? Who needs the peel? Yeah, and who needs the inside? Setting it up so that people the right. sides are trying to get you know the whole orange when right. in fact, as it turns out, one side needs the peel, the other side needs right. the pith or the right. the the, 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 the fruit. fruit. Yeah, and and how many instances where that actually could be true. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder about, although I think in the fiscal cliff incidents, 
it's, it's all complicated by the fact that everybody is most interested in keeping their job. Right. Right. It would be that. Yeah. And, and for, and for the people in the house, uh, of representatives, they, they are always thinking about keeping their job because they come up for election every two years. So every single thing they do affects whether or not they keep their job. And there is, it's very difficult to separate out those kinds of personal interests from the bigger interests of what the good of the country, right? It's, it's almost impossible. And so, you know, we set up, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. We've set up a system where negotiation is very difficult. Sure. Interestingly enough, we set up a, a government based on compromise and then put that within a system where compromising is so hard. Well, and, and negotiating and, the compromise and, and is has so gotten hard. much more so, and over has the gotten years. more so over the years. And I think, to some degree, I think it's the accumulation yeah. of all the giving aways that people have had to do for, or that parties have had to do for centuries, for a couple of centuries. But, um, but really thinking that through, and and it, you know, I don't, you can't guarantee that whoever you're whoever or whatever you're negotiating with um, has done the kind of soul-searching that we're recommending here before you come into that situation. But um, but you can know that you, that, you yeah. are, that you have and that you're clean. You know, it, this reminds me of probably my, my sort of favorite story about um, negotiations. Mm-hmm. When, when I worked um, at United Airlines in mm-hmm. the 70s, um, you know, the, there were three very powerful unions, the pilots right. union, the flight attendants union, and the mechanics, uh, and the related. Yeah. Right. Um, in 1976, uh, the flight attendant contract came up for renewal. Oh, right. And, um, I heard the man who was the head negotiator uh, the head tactical negotiator for the company, talking about, I, I overheard yeah. a conversation where he was talking about leaving to go to Washington where the negotiation was to take place and that he was off to see the Dollies. Mm-hmm. And my eyes just rolled when I heard oh, yeah. that. And I thought, oh my God, how is this man who fundamentally does not respect these women going to handle this negotiation. But, you know, I didn't say anything. I mean, it wasn't my place mm-hmm. to say anything. But as the days went on, I began to hear that the negotiation was approaching a stalemate and um, that it was looking very bad and they were mm-hmm. starting to reposition airplanes and stuff, which always is a bad sign in an right. airline, <laughs> yes. which means they're getting ready to lock down the airplanes and, you know, all that stuff. So I finally went to my boss mm-hmm. and I said, okay, I need to tell you what I, something I overheard. And my, my boss at the time was mm-hmm. um, um, the senior VP of, of um uh, HR and industrial relations, industrial mm-hmm. relations being the negotiation side. And I, and I over, I said, I overheard this conversation, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, the issue, I don't care what they're talking about. 
about whether or not they get single rooms or the, yeah. the issue is respect. Yeah. This is, you know, this was a time when women were really coming into their own in the workplace and they, they wanted to be treated respectfully. Um, they, they were, they could look at things like, well, the male pilots all had single rooms, but they were sharing rooms as flight attendants, four to a room. Hello? I mean, what yeah. does that say? Right. Their sleep's not important, but the pilot, uh, you know. Right. I said, the issue is respect. Somebody needs to convey to the leadership of the, the flight union. attendant union that they are respected as professionals. You need to go and do that. Mm -hmm. um, and... Of course, this was Buck, who ultimately became my husband, and so we were already pretty good friends, and, and he said, hmm, really? And we talked that through, and he said, you know, I think you're right. Well, he went down there, and he changed the tone of the negotiation. So they were talking about the same issues, but the tone was different, mm -hmm. and they came to an agreement. There was no strike. And um, it was it was kind of an amazing intervention that he did, mm -hmm. um, and it was all about respect yeah. and being treated respectfully, and um, I, that was just a very powerful lesson yeah. to me yeah. about the way the the way you convey whatever it is. Yeah, you know that you're trying to convey. Um, it it's well, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Well, you know that that story um, reminded me of of a couple of other books that I've read in the past couple of years that have been very powerful. And it's and it to me it's it's having read them in sequence is particularly interesting. There are two books by a man named Adam Kahane. Um, and he wrote a book, I think he's written a number of books, but the first one I read was called Solving Tough Problems. Um, and it's about getting people in a room to solve the, the issues that they are having with each other, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it, it is a negotiation, mm -hmm. right? And he outlined a way, it, it had a whole bunch of different scenarios and outlined a way of going through that. And, and I'm really glad I read that book first. Because subsequently he published a book called Power and Love. And in it he says, you know, a bunch of those ideas in that other book, which all sounded really good when I read yeah. them, right? Yeah. They, they, they didn't right quite get at the heart of it. Huh. And he was saying that the heart of any kind of coming together, resolving a conflict, doing a negotiation, coming to some way of going forward is acknowledging the presence of power and love in every single instance of, you know, dynamic instance. And that, that if, you, if you can't figure out how to address those issues, and, you know, in this, in this instance, showing respect would, all, would be one way of showing love. I mean, he's he's not talking about romantic love. He's talking about connection and and 
uh, interdependence and, you know, just that acknowledgement that we're, you know, we're all, if we think about the planet, we're all in this boat together and none yeah. of us are getting off alone, right? right. I mean, we're, you know, we're all right. going to be, we either sink or swim in this situation, what whatever it might be. Yeah. And he has some wonderful case studies about how he worked through coming to this conclusion that it really is not just power, not mm-hmm. just demonstrating mm-hmm. your power, and not just loving everybody and giving everything away about for love. Yeah. But really finding that the balance. Know, the balance. Mm-hmm. And in that story about the the flight attendants union, it's you know they had un- understanding that they have some power there. You Without bet. them, the airline is going to shut down, and that they need some love expressed. Right, right. They need to be shown that not only do we understand the power that you have, but we, and we have our own power, and you know we right. want respect back too. But that we, you know, we also see what you're contributing right. to this situation and right. want to work out a solution that works for everybody. Right, and that doesn't predetermine the solution it doesn't say you give away the store right but it says you start from that basis and um i just found that i carried that book around with me Mm. for quite a little while Mm. and um i may even have gotten it in a kindle as well because Mm. because his stories and the way he thinks about that i think are so critical Mm. Mm -hmm. um because if because if going way back to the beginning of our conversation, women and negotiating salaries, if I feel I have no power in that situation, then I can't really effectively negotiate. Of course. Right? I have to feel both the power and the love. Right. Right? And the power comes from understanding my boundaries and some of those other things that we've been talking about, and the love comes from really understanding what is the nature of my connection with this other party that I'm negotiating with and what can we create together here and and you know the love I have for that the potential well, sure right? and it reinforces that whole notion of win-win yes because you know even if you do kind of win-lose and you're the winner in the short term yeah in the long term you you get whacked in the back All right so the only the only way to sustain right. um, uh, an agreement is if it's a win win. Right, and and that's why you know I've been for a couple of years, for a few years actually, ranting about that I don't think com- I I don't think compromise is the way. Mm-hmm. That somehow or another we have to find a consensus, meaning the idea we all can live with, and and live with feeling good about it. Because even compromise doesn't end up being like win some, lose some on both sides. It feels like both sides are losers. Neither side really gets what they want in a compromise. Both feel like they're giving up something. And, and, in, and unless what, the compromise is used on the road. On the road consen- to consensus. To, to consensus. Yeah, yeah. And with consensus meaning something we all feel we can live with and feel okay about right not great but you know really feel okay about right because otherwise it's you know if unanimity is 
is tough. Mm-hmm. You know, think finding the place where we all think we've found the very best solution and, and, and it's the very best for everybody concerned. You know, sometimes we have to think about the longer term. Right. You know, what am I... And, and to be able to see that if I give up a little bit of this opinion that I have about things here, I'm actually building a, a stronger relationship or a stronger connection here that I may be able to come back to later and that that's going to be helpful. And so seeing the win mm-hmm. in it. Right. And I think so much, so often compromise, nobody does the work at seeing the win in it. And that's, and that becomes a difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We went all over the place today. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope you'll think about, uh, you know, what, what kinds of negotiations are you involved in every day? Where, where are you using power and love? If you're a woman, um, think about where your strength is in negotiations, what, where your boundaries are. And um, if you've had some successful negotiations or some unsuccessful negotiations that you think you've really learned from in retrospect, um, please write them into our comments so that we can start a conversation about that. We'd really love to hear from you. Please leave your comments on our blog or email us, leadershippodcast at gmail.com. This has been Episode 6 of Season 2 of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.